0: your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. Today, we pick up the conversation with Joanna Garten. However, this episode will focus on her second book, Edge of the Map, in particular, How Christine Boskiff pushed the boundaries of conventional expectations and set the stage for female mountaineers and other adventurers. It's such an interesting conversation, especially during a time when you just didn't see many females in that space and how she showed up and challenged and was respected by her male counterparts. So I am super excited about this conversation with Joanna. In our last episode, we focused on her story, on writing your adventure story, on unpacking Joanna's own family adventure story, Awakening East. Today's episode is from her second book, Edge of the Map, which I'm putting in the show notes, a link to it, and a coupon code so that you can get a discount using the Ordinary Sherpa coupon code. Again, go to the end of the show notes and you will find that. Edge of the Map was released in April of 2020. It's not only an adventure story, but it also is a little bit of a thriller and a, oh gosh, a love story and an emotional roller coaster and a narrative and just so many interesting things. I would say it's probably a memoir into the life of one of the most tenacious yet humble women I've ever, well, I never actually met her, but wished to meet. Joanna Garden is a mother, author, and cross-country coach who's played many roles in her life. After several years of living and working in Asia, including China with her son, husband, and daughter, she was inspired to write her first book, Awakening East. She and her family live in Denver. Edge of the Map is this fascinating story about one of the most accomplished female mountaineers of our time. And a fun little fact, it did inspire ordinary Sherpa, and we'll get to that at the end of the show. But Joanna, Christine is a pretty remarkable person, and I don't think most people knew her going into this book. I know I certainly didn't, and even a lot of people in kind of broader adventure communities did not know of Christine Boscoff. So can you talk a little bit about the significance of who Christine was and what she all accomplished
1: through her life? Yes, absolutely. So that's a great point. And that is one of the reasons I wanted to write the book, because she really... Was and really still is, even after she has passed, the most accomplished American female mountaineer of all time. And I think the greatest reason why nobody really knew who she was, or not many people outside of a very small circle is because she just carried herself with incredible humility. She came from the Midwest. So as you know, people in the Midwest are very humble. That's true. Mm -hmm. And she really stayed very true to her roots. She didn't want to be in the spotlight. And she really lived life on her own terms without seeking a a lot of media attention, et cetera. But I felt that her story really did need to be told because her career and the way she lived her life was so extraordinary. She graduated from University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee With a degree in aerospace engineering. She got her first job at Lockheed Martin in Atlanta right out of college, where she was leading teams of men. And so, right out of the gate, she was in these worlds where she was often the only woman in the room. She fell in love with mountaineering in Atlanta after meeting a guy named Keith Boscoff, who'd go on to become her husband. And the two of them bought a mountaineering company called Mountain Madness out in Seattle. And they bought that company from the estate of Scott Fisher, who was a mountain guide who died on Mount Everest in 1996. And some of your listeners may remember the book Into Thin Air, which was written by John Krakauer, which is about that mountaineering disaster. So Chris and Keith bought his company, and she continued climbing all over the world. She summited more 8,000-meter peaks than any other American woman. But uh, again, her name still is not well-known in many, many circles.
0: Yeah. And as I read your story, as I read Edge of the Map, I really found that female voice was such a, I don't know, almost downplayed, not encouraged. You know, I think back to some of the stories from the 70s where women were essentially banned from, like, you can't climb Everest with us. You're not the right person. You know, you don't have Mm -hmm. the right persona. So I'm curious, how did you pull that thread of the female voice throughout this story
1: it was challenging, I have to say, because there were so few female mountaineers at the time she was climbing, it was really hard to find people to talk to and to interview. So I had to lean heavily into her own writings and her own journal entries in which she talked about the challenges she faced as a woman. And I wove those into the narrative. And then for the women that did Did exist at that time, many of whom had passed away, I did quite a bit of research and deep dives into their lives, and their writings and their interviews to kind of make sure I would braid in their narratives as well and what their lives had looked like in that world of mountaineering. Yeah.
0: And I think Chris is such a unique person that she did that with such grace as well. Like she came across as this just authentic person, but also wasn't, you know, like you said, she wasn't the spotlight, but boy, she could show up some of her male counterparts <laughs> relatively easily and gain their respect pretty quickly in many of the stories you shared. Do you think that had? as much to do with being a female, or was that just her adventurous persona and who she was?
1: I think it was a little bit of both. Again, I think her Midwestern roots really shined in uh, her life, especially in her profession and in her mountaineering. She had grown up in Appleton, Wisconsin. She was the youngest of four. She had three older brothers, and I think they taught her that part of her that was always very resilient and tough, and stood up for herself. She knew that she could do whatever she wanted in her life because she had been taught that she could from very early on. And so, I think that was really the essence of who she was, and and helped her throughout her career.
0: Do you feel like she ever had to get permission, or that she really that men really um, downplayed her accomplishments because she was a female?
1: She didn't get the recognition she wanted in part because she was a female, but also because she was accomplishing extraordinary things at the same time as men in this sport were also accomplishing extraordinary things. And therefore, she was looked over even more because as tends to happen, men are not very good at tooting their horns. I hope I can say that. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) I just did. But the men in her sport, especially, you know, it's a sport that is not without ego. There is quite a bit of ego in this sport. And so male Mountaineers are very good at kind of being out there. And so they were out front and center and she was a woman and she also didn't really want to be out front and center. So that's, I think those two things, uh, played into sort of why she really lived her life under the radar. Yeah.
0: And maybe not so much, Christine, but I know you referenced a couple of other climbers such as Scott Fisher and Allison Hargraves, who were parents. And I mm-hmm. often think about the perceptions that you can be one or the other, that you kind of have this binary choice that you're either adventurous or you're a parent. I'm curious, did you ever get a sense of that with just in the mountaineering community of those that were parents? Did they really struggle with the perceptions of what it's like to be a parent and a mountaineer?
1: I think they did. And I think this is very different for every mountaineer. And I think the equation definitely Changes. This is what I experienced and what I saw and what I learned from talking to people, which is the experience that Mountaineers have definitely changes when they have a family, they tend to want to take fewer risks, but not always. So this is a part that was always really fascinating for me. And it kind of comes back to that question of why would you participate in a sport with such a high level of risk, especially if you have a family? And so as I learned more about the personalities, I really got a very deep and powerful sense that this is just part of their DNA. And everybody has something that they're passionate about in life. Now, whether that's painting or yoga or parenting or fostering animals. It looks different for everybody. But for mountaineers, it really is this drive to be in the mountains. And so that is ever present in many people, regardless of whether they have children or not. And they just have to kind of fight with that equation, I think, in a little bit different ways when they do choose to have a family.
0: That's a good point. I was going to say, can you compare? Because both Scott Fisher and Alison Hargraves were parents. Do you think they had different experiences? going through that same around the same time, right? They were both climbing around Mm -hmm. the same time. And do you think there was a different expectation of a dad versus a mom?
1: Oh, my gosh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And I do go into this a little bit in the book, because both of those mountaineers perished and died in mountaineering accidents. And Allison, who had two small children at the time, was really kind of raked over the coals after her death. And Scott was not. Uh, And it was because Allison, I think, was a woman and was a mother. And so people were much more critical of her choices as a woman, and as a mother. And that is something that drove me extraordinarily crazy as I went back and researched and learned about that.
0: Joanna, you're a mother. I'm just curious, you know, having gone through this, I don't know, adventures. you've had your own adventure story, right? Did you ever feel like you had to navigate when to be a mom versus like, did you ever feel like you had to choose one or the other?
1: I think there have been times when people have questioned some of the choices I've made as a mother, in particular, that decision to pick up and move two small children to China was one that I don't think was well-received by some friends and family members. And I really felt that we could do that. So I stuck to it and and did that. And I'm glad that I did. But I think I've had to make different choices because I'm a mom. um, And I've made, I'm trying to think of an example. Oh, here's an example that I haven't really talked about very often. So My husband and I got married, and I had done quite a bit of work in international human rights law. And I had applied for a job with the United Nations, and the position was in the Congo, and I got it. And this was at the same time that we were talking about starting a family. And I really wanted to go to the Congo and take this position. And my husband – so that was a moment when he said – It's the Congo or it's a baby. And I did have to pick. And I'm happy that I picked the baby.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So let's go back to that China experience, because ironically, there's a convergence of your story with Christine's story. And it happens to kind of merge almost. I mean, there's a lot of little threads that we see, right? You went to high school. We're both from the Midwest. But this idea that you and Christine were kind of in the same area for a majority of your, well, you had some experience, I should say, in the same area, Talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about that part of China. What was so appealing about that part of China for Christine? And then later, what was your own experience relative to that area of China?
1: Yes. So towards the end of her life, she began climbing in more remote parts of the world. She wasn't interested In Mount Everest or K2 anymore, she was needing to do some of those big expeditions for work. But when she would have personal time, she would go to faraway places that were really off the grid. And so Western Sichuan province was one of those places that had gorgeous mountain ranges. And she and her partner, Charlie Fowler ended up spending quite a bit of time there. And as it turns out, the area where she and Charlie passed away was just a few hundred miles from where our son, who was adopted from China, was born. So that was one of those similar sort of take your breath away moments that I ran into at various points during writing the book, for sure.
0: Yeah, and there's quite an interesting culture in that. And I guess most of China around the Himalayan with the Sherpa community. Did you have any interaction with the Sherpas?
1: Yes, I did. So, the Sherpa tribe is a tribe of people that comes more from the Nepal area, I would say sort of northern India, southwestern part of Nepal in the Khumbu Valley near Mount Everest. And I was able to spend some time with one particular Sherpa who was called, his name is Kili Sherpa, and he was Christine's lead Sherpa. And so in the research uh, for Edge of the Map, I was able to travel to Kathmandu and spend a lot of time with Kili Sherpa and learn about his background and his culture and how he and Chris became very dear friends despite this huge gap in culture and language and gender, uh, which was a great part of the story to include.
0: Yeah. And I also found the Sherpas to be really interesting, humble people. You know, I think about the things that physically they were doing to help these mountaineers reach their summit and not ever expecting as much. You know, the, the life of a Sherpa isn't necessarily glamorous, but yet they help so many mountaineers on these expeditions. So I thought the persona even of a Sherpa was just an interesting metaphor that resonated with who Christine was.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. Because they are very humble people. They are living their lives to serve. And so I think those two pieces very much were also a part of who Christine was. So that's a great observation.
0: That was the piece I think when I was developing this podcast. So this is the little fun story. I was in the middle of that section and I was trying to understand I'm like, how can I be just an ordinary mom and this? epic adventure. Like, how can you merge those two together and create a community around it so that families do feel like they can have adventure? And while we might not be climbing mountains, like how could we have that persona? And so that's actually where the name Ordinary Sherpa came from was from reading your book and understanding the Sherpa community because I wanted people to support other families on their adventure journeys. And so the Sherpa became kind of my visual to help us create the space and create the brand around it.
1: Oh, I love that. It's absolutely perfect. And I hope that that's really resonated with your listeners because I think it's so fitting. Yeah, because
0: so many of the adventure channels that you listen to, it's about these epic adventures. And so so my story is... I got really frustrated because I felt like when I became a mom, I had to choose. Like, you can't be adventurous Ooh. anymore. You have to be single and travel the world with your husband or with your partner. There's not a lot of kids in these stories. And so mm-hmm. I just decided I'm going to write a new story because I don't feel like I need to leave that part of me behind. And right. so I wanted to create a way for families to feel like they still belonged in this adventure community and not have it be all
1: about the epic stuff. Like, yes. you know, that you could yes. do adventure it just looks a little different, <laughs> but... <laughs> It does look a little different but it's equally adventurous don't you think
0: Absolutely I think it's <laughs> I think it's more fulfilling cuz I don't feel like I'm striving as much for the summit or that destination or that thing right it's mm-hmm. not about the end point it's much more about the path and how are we going to get there and working like you said all those challenges that were thrown at you in China and living there and it's just a, another piece of your story right and that's where a lot of the growth and adventure, I think that creates some really meaningful connection and memories.
1: Yes. And I think seeing each member of your family kind of have a different trajectory on that adventure is also so fulfilling and appreciating things that you would never think twice about or even really see.
0: Yeah. And I know I'm going back to your first book just a little bit, but you also, I think about that Sherpa community, right? I feel like you had a couple of Sherpas in China that really helped you find your space and feel more comfortable. Like, okay, yes, we belong here. We can do this. Um, Is that true? I mean, maybe I'm reading into it too much.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We definitely needed people along the way and people who were local and understood the culture and helped us navigate things that couldn't have done on our own. I mean, I think everybody needs those uh, advocates for them when they're undertaking big or adventures that are small sometimes as well.
0: Yeah. I want to kind of bring us back to edge of the map and Christine, she has a quote, you have a quote, I think, that really kind of pulls this all together in the book. And I don't exactly know where it was. But I wrote down Chris seemed to measure her success by how well she helped others fulfill their dreams. Mm -hmm. In writing her story, and in your own experience, how do you see this playing out in Christine? And what type of impact has that had now that you've seen the book
1: come to life? Let's see. So she ended up getting so much joy from leading people to the tops of summits and helping them achieve those goals that they had been dreaming about for decades. That became more fulfilling to her than reaching those peaks all by herself. And I love that. And that's something that I've really taken away from her story and learned from her as well, which is if you just sort of find that thing that you're passionate about it will end up resonating in so many ways that you can't even imagine so for me it's writing stories that i love regardless of what the outcome is the outcome eventually will be that people will find a way to take some pleasure in the story and that's certainly the case with edge of the map i went into it for very personal reasons and it's resonating for so many people on so many different levels and people are finding so much joy in it. So I credit her with helping teach me that very important lesson.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. As you think now moving forward, what's your next step? I saw a post that you're thinking about another book and you had a couple criteria. What do you think (laughs) it'll be? Do you have any insights into where you're going from here?
1: I have a few insights. I've got sort of a handful of ideas that I'm noodling. I sort of say that this is my noodling stage. And my criteria for the next story I'm interested in telling definitely would like the story to include one or more badass women. That's important. (laughs) (laughs) some international component would be great. And then some story that involves adventure or sport or outdoor activities, that's also really important. So I've got a few up my sleeve. That's something I'm working on. And then I'm really crossing my fingers that maybe Edge could become a movie or TV series. So that's another thing that I'm pursuing as well.
0: That would be amazing. I love the book. I, I had to buy it on digital so that I could highlight and reference it because I look at it so much. But I think that would be an awesome movie movie so much better than some of the others
1: (laughs) I think so too I think so too
0: that's so awesome that's exciting and I am going to post with your permission the trailer if that's okay in my Facebook group that I have just because I think that really gives the person like it gives you a good understanding Mm -hmm. but there's still so much to the story Mm -hmm. so you still have to read it yeah
1: that's great it's such a wonderful story beyond just the story of one woman. You know, there's so many twists and turns and it's a mystery and it's this love story and it's a mountaineering narrative and there's science in it about mountaineering and if you're interested in learning about high altitude expeditions or sherpa life, it's got a little bit of everything. So,
0: it does. It does. It totally filled my adventure cup in the <laughs> middle of 2020. So, I feel like it shine a light on like this is what you need to be doing Heidi focus over <laughs> here. Thank you so much. How do people find you if they would like to follow up with you or follow you? Uh, How can they get in touch with you?
1: I'm very easy to find. I have a website, which is joannagarton.com. It's J-O-H-A-N-N-A-G-A-R-T-O-N.com. And they can find me or email me there. They can buy the book there. They can buy the book in any online big bookstore or preferably your local bookstore. Local bookstores need a little bit of help right now. It's also an audiobook, so that's possible. I'm also really accessible for book clubs so if you have a book club and you're interested in reading Edge of the Map for your book club, I've been doing lots of virtual meetings with book clubs after they finish the book, which is so fun. I tell sort of secrets behind the writing of the book. And that's a great way to connect with readers as well.
0: Awesome. I'm so glad we were able to make this work. Thank you for sticking with me on this journey. It has been such a thrill. I know my listeners are going to follow you on this journey as well. So thank you so much for showing up and being a part of Ordinary Sherpa's community.
1: Thank you for having me. I love
0: interviewing fascinating people, and this was one that I just really appreciated. I have 10 key takeaways from this interview. Number one, you can be accomplished and humble. Christine Boscoff was a shining example in a time when she often was the only woman in the room. Number two, document your story. So much of this book was informed by Christine's personal journal. Number three. In mountaineers, it's just part of their DNA, and while passions look very different with everybody, mountaineers' drive is to be in the mountains, regardless of all the other factors. Number four, the choices we make as parents can and likely will be criticized. You get to choose the path and decisions that are the best for you. Number five, Chris spent most of her personal time in gorgeous mountain ranges off the grid, even if you aren't a mountain climber. What might be your off-the-grid personal time and where would you go? Number six, the Sherpas were a group of humble people dedicated to service but never in the spotlight. Christine developed an extremely close relationship with her lead Sherpa despite the gap in language, culture, and gender. Number seven, adventure channels don't often include kids. Ordinary Sherpa is creating the space for families to belong in adventure. It might look different, but the experience of adventure is equally as impactful, if not more impactful. Number eight, seeing each member of your family have a different trajectory and appreciating things you may not often see otherwise is the beauty of adventure. Number nine, Christine's joy came from helping others as opposed to her own summit. Number 10, the next book criteria, perhaps one of my listeners, there's a book about you in your future. (laughs) The next book criteria is a badass woman or women, some type of international component, and an adventure, sport, or outdoor activity. If you would like more information or to follow Joanna Garten and explore and learn and see her next book unveil, you can follow all of her information, which is in the show notes, or go to joannagarten.com as described in the episode. If you'd like to purchase the book, Edge of the Map has a discount code for ordinary Sherpa listeners. You have to buy it from her website and the coupon code is Sherpa for a 25% off discount. You can also purchase Awakening East on Amazon. Given that that is an older book, that is probably the best route to go there. With all of this, we are wrapping up our two-part series with Joanna Garten. I am so excited to have you with me on this journey. I have one fun little, I always like to read a written review. And this week, my written review comes from E. Brunner Photo. This is what I've been needing. I can't tell you how wonderful it is right now to have found this podcast. After feeling so stuck at home and like our world has gotten so small with the pandemic, it's so nice to realize that we can still create adventures for ourselves that don't involve flying off to an exotic location. After listening to my first episode, I came away feeling like there was so much I could do and adventures I could create right here at home in my own backyard. E Brunner Photo, thank you so much for your kind review. Reviews are one of the greatest compliments to any podcaster or content creator. If you are interested, please leave a written review or come join us on the Ordinary Sherpa Facebook group. That's facebook.com backslash groups backslash Ordinary Sherpa. And you can interact with all of the other listeners. It's kind of a fun way. We put a question out each week. People are asking questions about different locations and experiences that they might create. There's a lot of inspirational posts that are shared. So come join us there. And last but not least, if you are interested in getting just a little dose of adventure in your inbox each month, go to our website, OrdinarySherpa.com. And on the very homepage, you can subscribe to our Adventure to Go newsletter. There's short little bites of information to really help inspire you and go deeper into not just the episodes, but additional things that are happening or questions that have been asked and sent my way. I love hearing from all of you with whatever thoughts you have today. I love just share them with me. They are one of the bright spots in my week. Thank you so much for listening and for joining us on this journey. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. Subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.